Hi, my name's Tori and I wish I knew more about blood products. Hi, my name's Letitia. I wish I knew more about taking care of myself when starting shift work. Hi, my name is Lydia. I wish I would know more about how to work as in a team and solve conflict. Hello, welcome to Five Things, the nursing podcast from the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. My name is Liz Crow. I'm Jesse Spur, and this is a podcast by, for, and with the amazing nurses and health professionals in our corner of the world. We hope to connect with a global community as we move from surviving to thriving. Welcome to Five Things. Hello, my name is Liz Crow, And I'm Jesse Spur. And today we are welcoming Gareth Davies, who's the Acting Nursing and Midwifery Director of Patient Flow here at the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. Hi, Gareth. Hi, how are we all? Tops. Thanks for coming along, mate. Um, So we'd like to get a little bit, uh, get to know a little bit about you and your nursing journey and how you've ended up in this Acting Nursing and Midwifery Director of Patient Flow role. For me, uh, look, if I look back to when I was uh, someone looking at my career, I actually thought I was going to be a tradie um, and actually wanted to be a firefighter at the time. Some of the feedback was go off and get some health background. Uh, So I went off and did nursing um, and then I sort of started working um, and started to really enjoy it. I did my new grad year, learnt lots, made lots of mistakes, went straight into critical care in the intensive care unit, worked in emergency departments, I moved around different states and territories. I've been in Brisbane. This is my third time now. Um, and then I was in, uh, in Sydney where I worked in the emergency department for about eight years and really enjoyed that, that stint. And then from that, I actually stepped into a whole of hospital program manager role, which really looked at hospital-wide efficiency at a, at a systems level. And then um, moved back up to Brisbane and got a position uh, across the road in what they used to call was COSI. Um, and then applied for a position at RBWH in patient flow. Um, I have been in this position, acting position since the start of this year and uh, yeah look it, it's, it's interesting it's fascinating people ask me you know what is it about flow and I always liken it to a bit of a, a traffic controller air traffic controller that you start to look at the whole system and start to weave in particular things around what's what's working what's not working well and a bit of a systems view um, across all of the the big service lines so yeah it's it's interesting. So if I'm a nurse, you know, deciding how to spend my 20 minutes driving into work today, what should be the big hook, I guess, about why do people need to understand the importance of patient flow in the wider hospital system? Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, and I know that patient flow, people invariably tend to roll their roll their eyes and I think that, you know, the, the name doesn't do it justice. One of the big things for me and why patient flow is important, it's actually around quality of care. Um, and if we actually hit quality of care, then the efficiency will come. Um, you know, we have the patient in front of us, which is our, our priority at that point in time, but we do know every single day we've got the next patient out in the community um, waiting to come in for their elective admission, for surgery, the ambulance that's being called to a car crash that needs to get into the emergency department. And part of our role is uh, making sure that we have the system built so that everybody has that access to care. Um, and being efficient in all aspects of the hospital is super important so that for that person who's called triple O, they can actually get that ambulance as soon as possible. It's a pretty good um, elevator pitch for the importance of it, hey? 
I think one of the things you hit on there is this kind of, I call it the numerator bias, where what we see is all there is and we kind of judge everything by that. So we're worried about, like you said, the patient that's there in our ward at the moment and we, we can't empathise with something that's just this invisible unknown thing. And I think one of the things that's really important in that that stands out from your history is that experience in hospital wide roles just gives you a whole different perspective on the patients that are getting care in the wrong place because they can't get to the right place a lot of the assumptions that we make when we're working just in the throes of say an emergency department where you're just getting pumped and barraged and you're going why can't we get this patient upstairs? It, a lot of it comes down to empathy for the unseen, which is really hard when you're only working in that one place. So I guess from a encouragement of thinking of broadening careers is looking at those hospital-wide roles as something that gives you a better sense of perspective of care and not just kind of pushing paper around. Absolutely. Um, and unfortunately, we do push too much paper around uh, day, day in and day out. Uh, but you're, you're exactly right. It is, it is that systems view. Everybody has a role to play in patient flow. It's not nursing responsibility. It's not medical, surgical. It's not allied health or admin. Everyone has a role to play in that patient's journey, not only because it's, it's the best thing for that patient, but it's the best thing for the next patient coming through the door, either as an elective admission or um, via the emergency department or the one actually waiting out in the community, as I said before. I think that takes us beautifully into discussing what are your five things that you think will make a, a big difference, I guess, for patient flow. So can you hit us with number one? Number one for me is high quality care. Um, just, just focus on the basics um, and doing really, really well. Uh, I think from a nursing point of view, they're an absolute uh, prime position to weave in all of the information from a whole range of people and teams uh, to understand what's working and what's not working and to be that advocate for, um, for the patient. Um, encourage them to have a voice in their journey. Um, making sure that um, we actually understand, you know, where have they come from at home? What type of supports do they have at home? Um, do the, does their house have stairs? Do we need to get a physio involved? Why are they actually here? Um, is their current trajectory heading in the right direction? Um, or have we, uh, is the patient deteriorated? Or there's something else that I see as a bit of a blocker um, for my patient to actually be getting home safely. And then having the conversation with, you know, with, with your colleagues, with the medical teams and allied health teams, uh, with your numb up on the ward, just to say, look, I don't really know what to do here, but I see this as a barrier. Um, I think one of the, the biggest risks that we can fall into is, is having the information and not feeling confident and competent enough to actually to call out. Um, and I think that that's probably a, a far bigger risk of, of not saying anything at all. Um, so, yeah, for me, it really is that high-quality care, uh, making sure that you focus on the fundamentals. Um, is the patient eating and drinking? We know that they can deteriorate um, or decondition while they're in hospital. Um, is the patient spending too much time in bed and we should be getting them up and walking them around and um, just those real, those simple things. Um, you know, does the patient actually know when they're going to go home um, and what, what supports do they need? Do, does the family know that they're going to be going home um, and how is the patient going to get, get there in the end? So we talk a bit about in management, we, I suppose, talk a bit about nurse-sensitive indicators and that's that can often get confused as just being some punitive measure. But what we're talking about with high-quality care is like good pressure injury care, good falls prevention, delirium prevention, because that creates like weeks of capacity versus 
down to the stuff that's like about getting someone out into a chair in the hallway so you can admit, which is like minutes to hours of capacity. Like if we're talking at this high quality care, not wanting to put words in your mouth, I guess, it's the, it's about those things that like a pressure injury can create weeks to months of hospitalisation and other care dependencies, falls in healthcare. So those nurse sensitive indicators and sometimes as a nurse working on the floor, we can like we can get so overloaded with other things that those things can slip and part of I guess that is going we're not being able to adequately provide high quality care how do we escalate that as much as we say escalate met criteria on a patient yeah I mean you're spot on it really is that that basic stuff um, and as you've, you've highlighted we do know that patients do stay in, in hospital a, a lot longer um, when they do have, you know, a fall or they do develop a pressure injury or they do decondition due to eating and, uh, and, or not eating. Um, and it, it, it's, it's having that conversation. It's making sure that when we have our, our handovers with the afternoon shift or with the night shift that those things have been passed on. You know, I've noticed that, you know, doc, um, Joe Bloggs has got a bit of a, a red patch on the right side of their buttocks um, and making sure that the teams are aware and do we have them adequately positioned Um and making sure that we're, you know, documenting what this as, as we go so that, you know, at 2 o'clock in the morning or at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, people can actually pick up the notes and see when the last assessment was actually done. Um, it, it, is, it is so important to making sure that the, the precondition that the patient actually came in, that we maintain that as much as possible because that's one of the, the, the big things that will save us many, many days from a, from a patient flow point of view. So those fundamentals, I guess, the, the, in summarising that point, the fundamentals of what people do every day can make an enormous difference about how long a patient ends up being in the bed. Absolutely. Um, it's, yeah, it, it's, it is that um, am I aware of what's going on? Is my patient aware of what's going on? Is their family or friends actually aware of what's going on? Is the medical team or the surgical team or the allied health team, are they aware that, you know, the patient's had a fall or they're starting to get a bit of a red patch on their buttocks or, or whatever it actually is. It, it is so important to making sure that um, we pull in all of that information, make sure that the relevant people are aware and if need be, bring in the additional resources. We've got fantastic services in this facility around skin integrity um, among a, you know probably a thousand other ones and it, it's so important to make sure that we, we highlight, uh, escalate and, and weave in the relevant people in that space so that we can uh, improve, I suppose, the flow of patients out of the hospital. So I think, you know, it's timely then to go to your number two. Do you want to share that with us, please? Yeah, so it's it's really working with our patients and establishing what the goals of care are for that patient. Um, so when they when they come into the emergency department, when they come up onto the ward, you know, why are you here? You know, what, what's your biggest problem? Um, making sure that they actually understand what their admission diagnosis is. And I understand and appreciate that some patients will know that and other patients won't. And that's just the complexity of the, the world that we actually live in. Um, but do they know what the diagnosis means? Do they know the, the treatment plan? Um, do they know that the people that they're going to be seeing and the types of investigations that they will be having as well? Um, on the investigations front, as, a, as the nurse at the bedside, you know, our patients come in and they have lots of weird and wonderful things done to them, which may be on the ward or may take them out to an external department. It's also being aware, have those referrals actually been made? Has the paperwork gone through or the electronic form actually gone through to make sure that, you know, the, the MRI that everybody's talking about, has that actually been ordered? Um, or are we just assuming that it's actually been ordered? 
Um, there's some of the, I suppose, the, the processing things that we talk about around flow and how we can actually tighten up the system um, to, to, re, uh, to increase or reduce, um, I suppose, weight um, and free up some of this latent capacity. Um, so it is, it's really working with the patient. Do they know when they're expected to go home? Um, every single patient has what we got or what we would classify as an EDD or estimated date of discharge. Um, some patients that's probably less than a day. Some patients that might be a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, but does the patient actually know that? Um, does the family know that? Is the medical teams and the nursing teams and allied health, is everybody on the same page around, you know, Gareth potentially going home or two or three days? Um, it's really making sure that we go back to the patient, ensure that those goals are... Um, uh, are communicated well and that everybody is aware of them almost on a shift-by-shift -shift basis because we look appreciate that you know, there's EDDs there but sometimes patients will stay longer because of you know, adverse events or you know, uncertainty in that space. Sometimes they go home, go home sooner. Um, but what we really don't want is for patients to stay longer unnecessarily um, and part of that is around the goal setting with the actual patient um, and making sure all of those additional things have actually been um, considered around your investigations, the rehab component. Um, do we have the rehab specialist in that space? Because um, we do know that a portion of our patients still go off into rehab. So is it part of um, the nursing assessment to actually ask or inquire, like, what's your goal in being a patient? Because I'd imagine for some patients that's not even on their mind. Like the GP said, I've got to come in or... They said be at the hospital at this date and I just rock up. What is the role then of, of the bedside nurse or nursing and midwives in the hospital around really helping patients get a clarification around a goal and then to make sure everybody else is on the same page? Uh, there's probably a, a bit of a mix in there. I think that, you know, and being biased in this space, you, you know, does the patient actually know why they're here is, is a really good question to actually ask them. Um, because if they know why they're here, then they have a bit of an idea as to, um, you know, what they may need to do to actually get out of the hospital as well. But we do hear stories that patients aren't really sure as to why they're here other than someone's referred them here. Um, they don't really know what's happening to them. Um, and that just creates a bit of an uncertain sort of world for that patient. Um, and going back to, you know, my, my comments around quality care once again, if we have patients that are in the hospital questioning why they're here or what the process is or how they're going to get home, um, that, that's, uh, that's, that's not great quality care in that space. Mm -hmm. Taking us to number three, which is where is this patient going next – I'm assuming with patient flow, that's not just about are they going home, but are they going to x-ray, are they going to rehab, are they going to audiology? Is that what you mean by number three? Uh, well, it is now. <laughs> <laughs> so, but well, you, you, yes, you've, you have hit the nail on the head and it goes back to what I was saying before. All of those in further investigations that patients are having when they are, are an inpatient, does the patient know that? Um, do the PSOs know that? Is the actual required paperwork in for all of that sort of stuff to occur as efficient as, as possible? You know, within the operating theatres, they actually measure, you know, their start times just to see how efficient they are in that space. Um, and for patients within the hospital setting that are having these types of things, you're, you know, part of your plan today, you know, um, is to 
you're going to go down to CT and you're going to have a CAT scan, which takes a picture of your whole body because we're looking for X, Y, and Z. Um, so that's that inpatient component, and that's just really good patient care. And that's a you know a, a five second conversation as part of your round when you're administering antibiotics or doing a set of observations or assisting your patient with some you know ADLs uh, within the within the morning. Um, and then the next part of that is, well, where are you going to head next uh, once the acute care component of your stay is actually finished? Are you going off to rehab? Are you going to be going home? Are you going back to your nursing home? Do you live back in Kuala Lumpur? And we need to arrange a whole range of logistics um, and, and financial things and flights and escorts to actually get you there. Um, and this is where I suppose in that particular instance, patient flow would actually step in. Uh, because that requires a, a lot a lot more coordinated response to actually get someone back to, you know, anywhere overseas, uh, let alone in the state uh, or, or in Australia. And I think there's a bit of a misconception uh, with the back transfers or people going back to their homes in New South in uh, Queensland. Sorry, we're actually closer to Melbourne than we are to Cairns. Um, so logistically, it may sound like we're going to get you back to Queensland. Uh, back to your home in Queensland, but from a distance and, you know, flights and, you know, ambulances to pick you up at said airport to take you back to your, you know, your regional place where you live, it's actually quite logistically challenging and it's actually a lot of times easier to get someone back to Melbourne than it is to uh, their relevant place in Queensland. Um, so where's the patient going next? Yes, absolutely, it is in that, that inpatient setting, your tests, your investigations, does the patient know, are they ready to go? Um, and then... Or, you know, when you're leaving hospital, are they, is that patient up? They know that someone's going to come and pick them up. We've organised a taxi or an ambulance in that space and you're going to be going to rehab. Um, you're going to be going back home. Um, absolutely. It's, it goes back to that, just that communication with the patient. And everyone has busy lives, don't they? You know, like um, I know my own mum was just in hospital recently. Uh, we all had it in her mind that she was being just charged at 11am. You put your whole working day around that and then it was like, oh, no, she won't be ready till 3.30. And, it, you know, even as a family member, it throws everything into chaos, which then can cause delay in actually getting someone out of a bed. And so having as much information and as much notice, I guess, for the patient, for the team and for the families just helps with efficiencies. Absolutely. It's, um, so we talked about the EDDs before or when the patient's expected to go home. Um, so, you know, the patient's expected to go home in three days' time and then the following day you have the same conversation. Look, you're on track, you're doing really well, you're meeting all of your goals, um, you know, your family's going to come pick you up in two days' time. And then the day before, it's, it's confirming all of that information with the patient that, look, these are the, the things that we just need to do tomorrow morning and if all of those things are A-OK, what we're actually going to do is we're going to get you up, we're going to get you showered, you're going to have some breakfast and you're going to go to our transit lounge um, or your family can come and pick you up at, you know, 8 o'clock in the morning because that's what time the team's actually going to come around. Um, those things are, are super important to making sure that, you know, when, we're not waiting around. And if I put my, back in the day, my ED hat on, um, when I used to be a, a triage nurse, the patients would come in and they'd come in with their cardiac sounding chest pain and... Part of the conversation was that this pain started an hour ago. Um, you know, based on all of our investigations and how long we actually keep you here, you're going to be here for another five or six hours. So whatever you've got planned in the next five or six hours, cancel it mm. or make those arrangements. And people invariably didn't care that they were going to be in the emergency department for five or six hours, which, you know, 
is too long, but back in the day was seemed to be reasonable. They just needed to know. And that is reflective of not only patients presenting to the ED or, you know, through the elective admissions, um, but also those patients up in the ward. Um, you know, you're expected to go home in two or three days' time and we, you know, this is what we're actually planning for. So have your family there or you're going to move down to the transit centre. That's just part of how we get, you know, flow throughout the organisation. Gareth, your number four is alternative models of care. What does that mean in, with regards to patient flow? So for our patients, when they come in uh, and they're admitted under a particular team, they come in because they're unwell and we provide a level of services like a range of, like all other hospitals, that will sort of get you over the hump of your acute care stay. So you're really sick, you've got to, you know, be under the specialist, you can have the specialist nursing care and allied health care. But at a particular point, that patient starts to get well. Um, and that's just part of the course with regards to, uh, I suppose, a, a disease process. And I suppose for the new nurse up on the up on the ward or for anybody, we need to be exploring where else could this patient go? Because we know, as we mentioned before, that that next patient is either in theatres in intensive care, is on the elective admissions book or is out in the community waiting for that ambulance to actually come in. So what are some of the alternative models of care that we could um, flag with the relevant teams to say, look, you know, Gareth's actually doing quite well here. Um, he's meeting all of his goals. I wonder whether or not Hith is suitable in this space. So hospital in the home, can we actually get Gareth out where he would have ongoing care in the community um, um, in, in, in their home? Um, do we need to look at alternatives in regards to uh, some additional supports around wound management within the community? There's some new models of care that are, that are coming out at the moment, they're probably not so new anymore, around virtual wards. And this is around having specialist uh, consultants and nursing staff um, being able to touch base with patients who are at home um, but doing it virtually. Um, and they can do monitoring and a, a whole range of other, you know, quite cool things. So just because our patients in front of us, if they're actually... I suppose, meeting the, the, their goals and, and what we would expect them to be doing, there's a particular point and that we need to ask, is this the most appropriate place for them? We do know that the longer that patients stay in hospital, the, the more complications that they actually have. Um, obviously, there's you know, losing some bed days on the side of that, but we want to get patients out to where they actually want to be as soon as possible. Um, you know, I would argue that your food at home is probably better. Um, the, the environment's probably better in that space as well. And there's a range of alternative models out there that can actually help facilitate that at a particular point. Um, so having that conversation with the relevant teams, the, the treating team, the allied health team, as to what do we need to do to actually potentially tap into the virtual ward or to uh, potentially tap into HIF or post-acute care services, um, or, or other things that are actually out there. Where else could this patient go? Um, in some instances, that won't be um, able to be achieved. And that's okay, because that's just the way it is. But in other occasions, there are alternatives to actually being in hospital. And can we actually um, work with the patient to actually make that achievable? We've got our discharge facilitation unit here. Um, and they're really, really uh, the experts from a nursing point of view in regards to some of those alternative models of care and actually how we can actually transfer patients to, to other services. Yeah, it seems like a critical thing to think more and more about because we're not sending well people home often. They're over the acute 
flare-up of their chronic illness maybe or they're not well when they're leaving hospital. Our threshold for, um, threshold for illness is quite high in a, an acute hospital system. So they're, they're, the, the days of sort of waiting till someone's fully convalesced and well to go home are well and truly gone. And I think it's also that thing that if I live alone and I've got a really precious dog and I'm worried about who's feeding them, who's looking after them, you know, we've already learned on this podcast that stress can make wound management slower. It can increase the amount of pain that someone's having. So if actually being able to receive something like antibiotics at home and keeping that person with their pet means that actually all of those other systems are likely to heal faster. Absolutely. Um, and I wouldn't underestimate that, that, social, um, that social element of, of patients. That's important to them. Um, the number of times when I used to be uh, someone who would care for patients day in and day out, the, the, the biggest thing that they were actually worried about is, is their pet at home and who's going to feed them? Is there, you know, their elderly mum or dad? Is there, you know, another family member within the hospital? So that stuff is, is um, for some of our patients, really important. And through these alternative models, it, it potentially enables them to actually get home sooner so that they can be around, I suppose, you know, their dog, which is their comfort. Um, or, or their additional family members. Because, um, you know, we, we've heard of stories where patients um, will discharge because they're more worried about something that's actually going on at home as opposed to their, their own health. Um, and through these alternative models, that potentially gives us an avenue to actually leverage that model of care to, uh, so that that person can actually be at home um, focusing on the things that's, that's important to them. And that comes back to those goals once again. What's important to you? Yes, it might be that, you know, that disease process and fixing you up at that point in time, but it may be some of those social elements as well, which is important to people. I'm actually excited that we're, that we're actually at number five because I'm curious to hear what it's about. Could you hit us with your number five, please? Well, it's getting creative. Um, and what I mean by that is, uh, you know, I think there's about 3,500 nursing staff at RBWH, give or take, and... I don't have all the answers and some of my team don't have all the answers. Um, however, from a nursing point of view, there's three and a half thousand minds out there as to how we could do things differently um, and how we can challenge what the status quo is and what the norm is. Um, and I am very keen, very interested to hear what some of those three and a half thousand minds are actually saying in this space. Um, we need to, we know that within healthcare, we need to continually evolve. And that if we don't evolve, um, or if we stay static, that everything else around us is changing. The complexities of patients are changing, the demand is changing, where our patients are coming from is changing. And to meet that need, we need to be creative in the models that we're actually offering patients um, around what's actually important to them. Um, you know, we will, I liken it to a, you know, I suppose a wet rag, we'll try and squeeze a wet rag out of all of the water that's actually left in there to try and find any efficiency. But the creative component is, is super important. Um, so if, if, if you've got ideas in this space as to what we can actually do to, to flip it on its head, um, and, you know, virtual, virtual ED, virtual wards is, is one of those things that is gaining traction within Metro North and across Australia, um, you know, this is around monitoring patients at home with an acute condition. That's some of the creative things that we could potentially leverage into the future so that people are actually not being managed in hospitals and actually being managed um, at home where they actually want to be. 
it's also working with your, you know, your teams, your medical colleagues, your, your nums around what's something that we could actually do differently here. The nursing staff are there 24-7 looking after patients. They can see the challenges. They can see the issues. Um, it's just it's, it's grabbing that, seeing if it's a theme and seeing if it's something that we should actually focus on to actually to get them out. So I don't have a magic wand. If I did have a magic wand, I probably wouldn't have a job. Um, uh, but I think collectively, not only from a nursing, and as I said at the very beginning, this is more of a, a systems approach where everybody has to be involved in flow. Um, collectively, there's a lot of really cool ideas out there. And we know that there's a, the technology. Um, we just need to figure out how we actually make this work. I think that's a perfect place for us to look at the at your summary of five things of how people can really impact the way patient flow happens in their particular hospital. So just to rehash that. So number one is really start with high quality fundamental nursing care. Make sure that people don't get pressure injuries, you know, minimize falls, maximize people's mobility and independence. Um, as a way of ensuring that they remain as well as they can be so that when they're ready for discharge, they're right to go out the door. Number two was around establishing goals of care and that that actually has to be patient-driven. We have to make sure the patient understands why they're here, uh, when they're due to go home and what are their particular goals around this admission and involving their family members or the the people who care for them uh, involved in that as well. Number three is where is this patient going next? And you gave us some lovely examples both internally about ways we can affect flow about making sure consent forms are done and that, you know, appointments have been made so that we don't lose days in hospital just simply because we all assumed someone else had booked the MRI or where they might be going next. Um, Have things changed so dramatically with this person that they're no longer going to be able to live independently? Do we have to look at other sources of care or rehabilitation prior to discharge. Number four is looking at all those alternative models of care. And I guess the things that you suggested were, you know, being at home in a virtual ward, hospital in the home, um, and, you know, respite care, whatever that may be, and to tap into the discharge planners or patient flow uh, if people are stuck. And the fifth, I guess what I heard was kind of a call to action uh, for all of us to get really creative about the way that healthcare may look in the future and how we can really help people be here uh, as short as they as possible, not because we want them out the door, but because we want people to be in an environment where healing is best able to happen and sometimes that's not in the hospital. Terrific. Lovely place to leave it. Thanks, Gareth. Thank you. The Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital Five Things Nursing Podcast acknowledges the Turrbal and Yagara as the First Nations owners of the lands we now tread. We pay respect to their elders, laws, customs and creation spirits. We recognise that these lands have always been places of healing, teaching and learning. We also wish to acknowledge the First Nations people of the lands of our global community and encourage our listeners to seek out, listen, and learn from the knowledge held in your shared space. As well as all major podcast outlets, you can find us at fivethingsnursing.podbean.com. Please also subscribe and give us a rating on your listening platform of choice. This helps others find the podcast. 
And finally, if you'd like to connect with Liz or myself on Twitter, we can be found at LizCrow2. And for me, it's inject underscore orange. We would absolutely love to hear your thoughts, ideas, or feedback. Thanks for listening to Five Things 